married, Andrew's serving and watching your babies this morning. And he's just done a tremendous job. Give up for Aaron. <laughs> oh, man, that's just too much fun. Too much fun. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in several different verses. And I want to just popcorn through a couple of things that I really feel like God wants to highlight as we conclude our family reunion series. But if you were to be in one scripture this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm excited about family reunion. I'm excited about baptisms this morning. My niece is getting baptized this morning. I'm super excited about that. Ariana Simmons getting baptized this morning. It's going to be huge. Really great. Well, man, um, family reunions are something that we've all grown accustomed to. Uh, whether you uh, are in a family where your parents have been together forever, or maybe you're in a family who's gone through many changes and looked a little bit differently, but you've been brought to different family reunions. And what I found about family reunions is I often find that there's usually a, a, a person or a set of people who, when they speak, the family remains silent. You know what I'm talking about? The, the patriarch, the matriarch in the family that you want to pull up a seat next to them, you want to engage them, you want to listen to the wisdom that they have because they've lived a lot longer than us. They've had a lot of life experiences. We haven't had many family reunions. Y'all may know my family. My dad was an orphan twice, and we didn't have much family on that side. And my mom, uh, didn't, we didn't, weren't really connected on that side either. So I'm missing a little bit of, you know, that good barbecue, that competition. It's probably why I'm getting it out here this morning. But, but I do remember there was about three times that we visited our family and had a family reunion. About three times that we went, and my mom had an uncle who worked for the railroad, and it was really cool because he lost a finger from a railroad cart, and I thought that was so cool because he had this giant knuckle and only three fingers. Uncle Ford was his name, but Uncle Ford had some wisdom. How many of you know if you lose a finger, you got some wisdom to speak about? Like, don't put your finger down there, you know? Um, don't let it get ran over. There's a little bit of wisdom. You may look at somebody who's lost a finger or so. They may want to tell you what not to do, and we can learn from their experience. But Uncle Ford was the tallest in the family. He had the, most, uh, the, the, the best stories, the best laugh, and he could impart the best things to us. And we would all pull up a seat to listen to Uncle Ford and his stories and I still remember as a kid going up, and I was so excited, and every time we went to a family reunion, I asked if he was going to be there because there was something that we were going to learn and sit, and something that would happen. You see, those stories end up transforming us, don't they? As patriarchs and matriarchs speak, they transform the way you live. They transform the way you parent, the, the way that you love your spouse, the way that you pursue a spouse the way that you may go into the marketplace and, and the way that you interact with people, the way that you respect one another. There's a, usually somebody sitting in that seat it doesn't take advantage of somebody else, but tries to esteem them and lift them up and bring greatness out of them. How many of you know that's true of these patriarchs and matriarchs? And I think today as we talk about the family reunion and we talk about what it is, we need to talk about our father this morning. 
our father, the, the patriarch, the one who has put us on mission and set out direction, the one who has all wisdom and beholds all love and wants to see your full potential for he created you and put you together so uniquely. He knows everything about you. He cares about you. And in our family reunion, it's great to learn about one another, and we're going to do that, but it's also equally great to come together and sit at the Father's feet and say, God, what is it that you have? God, our Father. We know him as Father um, primarily through some of the Old Testament, but primarily through Jesus. Jesus. Jesus often refers to his Father. You see, although it's mentioned just a couple of times, a few times in the Old Testament, God being father, father of the Israelites, Jesus was taken into a very personal relationship. He even taught us in Matthew chapter 6 how to pray in a relational way to our father, to the father. You see, God is the father, and this is the one that we need to learn from. It's the one, he is the one who gives us the insights. You see, he's the patriarch. He's, he's the father, father God. But today I'm going to return, refer to him as the Godfather. The Godfather. Because it's a family reunion and the Godfather. You ever anybody seen Goodfellas? Godfather part one, two, and three? It's the Godfather calling the shots. The Godfather is the one lining up the family business. He's the one making sure everybody has a job and has responsibility. He's also the one who disciplines, right? If you get out of line, you may get, you know... <laughs> He, he's dangerous, the Godfather in the movies. But I want to talk about the Godfather, our Father, and how that applies to us and some things that, some benefits and blessings and what we see as we sit in our family reunion and listen to him. First off, we got to know in Isaiah 64, 8, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We, all, we are all the work of your hands. This is a moment where Isaiah recognizes that, first off, God is the creator, and he created you. He's the one who's, who's put you in alignment. He's the one who's put you in purpose. Isaiah recognizes that, and in this moment, Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the Israelites, speaking that we are the pod, we are the clay, we are the chosen, we are the ones that you have knit together but Jesus moves it from just that one bloodline, the seed of Abraham and the Israelites who were the chosen people in the Old Testament. And he starts grafting in all every, everybody else who is not Jewish, Gentile. He starts grafting you in and starts making a way. And Jesus starts reaching out and crossing barriers and culture barriers and country boundaries. And he starts calling your name and he's saying, no, you too are created. In the image of the Father, you too are the clay that I am shaping and working, that you are not orphaned, but you are found. And Jesus' mission was to show us all that there is. And us in the church, in our family reunion, we've tasted the benefits of being in the Father's house, haven't we? We tasted the benefits and the blessings of being in the Father's house. The first thing I want to let you know is the, the Godfather is that he blesses you and he gives you wealth. He blesses you and gives you wealth. Now, you know I'm not a prosperity teacher. I'm not asking you to give any money today. I think that some video will do that at the end. 
But what I see is the, the Father gives you blessings of health and wealth. This is what he does. In fact, there's a study that came out recently. I, I, I don't remember who it's from. Maybe it's the Barnard Group. I'll have to look that up later and give you the right footnote on that. But there's a study that came out, and it said that people who hold to the Christian faith live seven years longer than those who have no faith at all. That, that you actually have a seven-year increase in life expectancy if you uh, hold to the faith and you walk this out and walk out community. Why? Because there's purpose. You would think it would be opposite. We're all ready to get to heaven. Come on, somebody. The ship is sailing. We're ready. Let's go. But how, why is it that our life is longer and extended here? It's because when you come together in the family, there's blessing in the family. There's love. There's hope. You're no, no longer alone. You're no longer hopeless. You're no longer broken. You no longer um, have to sit in your mess and not do anything about it. It doesn't mean that you don't come broken. You don't come with a mess. We all came with a mess this morning, praise God. The great news is, is we just get to lay out our mess and we just say, God, you're sovereign, you're in control, you're good, you're amazing, you love us, you redeem us, and our mistakes are erased. And our mistakes have been paid for on the cross, that the sin that we committed this week, and the sin that we committed last decade, and the sin of our fathers have been paid for on the cross and his love and his grace redeems us and changes us and shapes us and redefines us. And so, guess what? We all leave this morning with a little more hope, don't we? With a little more encouragement. We all are, have that joyful happiness that just walks out of this room. We're like, man, dude, I'm so excited that I came and worshiped with my family this morning. I'm so excited that I ran up front and gave Pastor Ben a little chapstick, and everybody was applauding for me, saying, Stephen, you're my brother in Christ. We love you. There's hope and purpose, destiny, and all that. There's, there's health and wealth that comes through the blessings of God as you lean into him and you sit at the table of wisdom. You see, God's going to tell you, hey, I don't want you to hold on to your talent, but I want you to invest your talent. And what, what I put inside of you, what I've given you, I'm going to reproduce it, and you're going to see a, a multiplication happen. You're going to see God do something incredible with the gifts and talents you have. And as a result, you find yourself walking at a new height and a new level. I'm so thankful. You know, a lot of y'all don't know Trev, who came up and exhorted after our second song and welcomed our guests this morning. But Trev got here about three months ago, and he and his wife, Elise, were just like, man, we're going to dive in. We're going to dive in. We're going to serve. We're going to be there. And, and, and Trev was <laughs> last minute asked to come do the MC because our MC was sick this morning. And he stepped up. And, and, and you know, you get that moment where you get to end parts. A little bit of what the Lord's been telling you. And you get to share it with the church. And it brings encouragement to you, but there's also an equal encouragement and blessing as you release that. 
That's why we don't, we don't hold on to the things that God has given us. We got to release them because there's blessing that happens to your friends and your neighbor and your family. There's things that happen that God wants to do, and, and he's releasing it to help bring somebody up, to encourage somebody. To, you're, you're an extension of, of God's grace as, as Christ lives inside of you and the Holy Spirit's inside of you. You get to extend that blessing and, and, and his grace to other people as he reaches out uh, into the pit to pull people out whose arm is too short to save. You get to be right there and you get to say, hey, come on, come on, come on, let's go. And he does the saving, but you get to do all the encouraging. Come on, man, you got it. He's got you. Watch it. Come on. He has a purpose for you. It's incredible. What our God does, God, the Godfather. Everybody say the Godfather. It's all great. The Godfather. I'm a little hyped up this morning. Godfather also has a code for the family. There's a family code that he puts out there. You see, patriarchs do this. There's a family code got to abide by. Hey, don't, don't, don't go against the code. Don't go against the code. You know what happens if you go against the code? Go against code, you. Now, God doesn't. But he gives you a code. And the code's this. Treat others well. Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That it was oftentimes that we need to count others more significant than ourselves. There's this moment where the Godfather's encouraging you, hey, get outside of your selfishness and start helping other people. Start loving other people. Isn't that the code? Love him and love others, that we would love them well, that we would treat them well, that we would encourage them. How many of you maybe grew up in a family unit and it was the father who was always saying, you two need to get along, talking to the siblings. You need to, to get along. You need to work it out. It's them saying, you need to treat each other well because they're family. You don't treat family poorly. You don't treat family badly. You don't mistreat family. You don't abuse family. You don't manipulate family. You treat them well. You encourage them. You bring the best out of them that they can possibly be. You love them. You love them when they're down, and you love them when they're up. You, you, you absolutely seek them and love them, encourage them. And in our family reunion, when we sit with God in his presence and this worship and this encouragement of the word in our life groups and disciple groupship groups and the fellowship that we have throughout the week, and we sit down and looking at brothers and sisters, what we realize is the fathers encouraging us to treat each other well. There's a code. Everybody say, there's a code. Code. Are we abiding by that? The third thing the Godfather would let us know is that the code requires sacrifice. The code requires sacrifice. Now, I don't want this to be misconstrued. When I say the word sacrifice, oftentimes you can replace it with earning to receive God's love. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sacrifice of laying down yourself for others. Laying down your selfishness to not just for others, but what God has 
willed you to walk out. But he's called you to walk out. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. The Godfather displays this with his own son, Jesus, who lays down his life for us. He lived a perfect life. He had perfection. He had perfect holiness. Everything he was is everything we want to be. And he had it all, but he decided to give his all so that we could be with him. He laid it down, everything, because it's perfect love. That's what love is, is this sacrifice. A sacrifice of laying down our agenda, helping other people. Laying down our agenda and walking out something that maybe he's calling you to do. Some of us may sacrifice a career choice and move into a different career trajectory. Our friend Russ and Deb Coates, a lot of you know them. Russ was 20 years in, as an engineer in a business. God called him to go into medical missions. He, lived, he cashed out his 401k at 40 years old. He left all that, went to become an optometrist, and is now teaching students at UIW about optometry and coordinating all their mission trips that the school does every year. You see, sometimes that sacrifice well, is like, man, okay, God, maybe, maybe there's something, a, a redirect, a, re, a, a positioning, a moment where I say, okay, Lord, uh, less of me and more of you. Where you go, I will go. Where you call, I will answer. The Godfather, he also disciplines. He disciplines. None of us want discipline. Seems harsh. Seems rough. But all of us need discipline. Hebrews 12, 7, uh, 7 says this. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, heard, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's this moment that sometimes the Godfather has to bring some discipline in our lives. Some moments where he is moving in a certain moment. And I love this, that... Our God disciplines his children so that we can move into more of him. And it's so great that he does that. You know, sometimes I want to spank other kids, you know, like, like other parents' kids, you know, because they're running amok, they're, they're going around everywhere, they're going crazy. I was like, man, I just, I need a, but I can't do that. They're not my children. You see, God loves us. He loves our family, and he brings us into a discipline. There may be a discipline that you're in right now, and it is for our benefit. The God, God the Father also protects. 
He protects. And he includes our family to be a part of that protection. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and cause trouble. And by it, many become defiled. You see, there's this moment where the, the family rules are set in place and there's this way that we abide in the family, the way we interact in the family, the way that we walk in the family in a way that pleases the Lord. See, we are to walk in a way that pleases him, that honors him, that loves him, that displays who he is, his character. And when we as sons display a different character than our father, there's going to be a realignment in your life. He loves you too much to not exhibit his character on the earth. And it's through his family that we get to hold each other accountable in this. We get to help each other. We get to speak into each other's life. Hebrews 12, 16 says this, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You see what accountability does? It keeps you from selling your birthright. There was no one there <clears throat> to keep uh, Jacob and Esau accountable. No one there holding them to this accountability. They were just selling their birthright, being illegitimate, wanting to be outside of the family, all for food, all for pleasure, all for something that would temporarily satisfy. And in our family, the patriarch, God the Father, would say this, is I want you to hold each other accountable so that we're not settling for things that are temporary pleasures. Because he's, he's preserving his people to enjoy him forever. He's preserving you and me. He wants you and me. This is what he loves to do. This is what he desires to do. I was driving down the road when I was 21 years old. I was with my brother, and we were in Dallas, and we were driving. And uh, the highways in Dallas are crazy. I, I was young and dumb. I, I think I was 19, actually. And as we were driving, there's these billboards everywhere. And you've seen these billboards. Don't act like you haven't. But there's the billboards, you know, that are advertising different things of sexual nature. You know what I mean? There's all sorts of billboards out there. There's uh, billboards about uh, uh, different clubs, different, different opportunities, all that stuff. And we're driving down the road. And uh, I didn't realize it, but I was staring at one of the billboards. You know, when you stare at something, you don't really realize it. And my brother hits me in the chest so hard that I lost my breath. And when I lost that breath, he goes, what are you staring at? Nothing, man, nothing. He goes, I saw you. Hey, man, you need to bounce your eyes. You need to bounce your eyes. And that moment stuck with me for the next 20 years. For the next 20 years, every time I see a billboard, I look the other way. I don't crash, thank goodness. But I look the other way. Every time I'm seeing different temptations come my way, I'm bouncing my eyes. I'm moving in this place. You see, family helps keep you accountable because it's what our patriarch wants. The Godfather wants for us. 
He wants us to keep each other accountable and to encourage each other, to help each other in our weaknesses, to strengthen us and to build us up. This is what he does. This is what he has encouraged us to do. Lastly, the Godfather, he redeems and he restores. He does all these things, but what I love about him is he's constantly redeeming and restoring. And like I said at the beginning, there's nothing, no mess too great for our God. There's nothing that you have done too much that can't be redeemed and restored and forgiven and loved and the grace of God coming over it. This is what he does. Now, you may remember this story in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells us a, a, a picture of what uh, the Godfather does and how he responds to his children. You see, there's this child uh, or this young man in the family, and he decides basically to do his own thing and to chase his own pleasures and to go against the code that the father has set out for him. So he gets all of his money and all of his inheritance. He cashes out the family 401k and his trust, and he goes and he has the best time, so he thinks of his life. See, pleasure is temporary, but the kingdom is forever. And he takes this moment of pleasure, and he's out there, and, and before you know it, he spent all that he had, all that there is, and he's there in the middle of all of that. And he finds himself with swine, and he's eating the food of the pigs. Whatever they throw out, he would eat. That's how desperate he was. And he tells himself, man, maybe I can go back to my father's house. Maybe I can go back to that family reunion. And maybe, maybe I can just serve tables or something at it. Maybe I could just be there for a little bit. And maybe he'll let me sleep on a tent outside of the gates. But at least I'm close enough to warmth. At least I'd be close enough then. So he musters up the energy and talks enough to to go back to his father's house smelling like swine. And as he does, he's walking, and you know the story so well, but what does the father do? The father sees him because the father was always gazing and looking for the son that was lost. He was always looking for the lost sheep and the one who had the biggest mess, who didn't think they deserved to come back. But they started bringing the mess with them, and they came with this mess, thinking they're going to be judged and condemned. But instead, what does the father do? He sees them from a long way off, the Bible says. And he runs towards them. And the son's apologizing. I just imagine the emotions and the tears and everything that's coming out of him. And the father doesn't even let him get all that out. He said, you are my son. Welcome home. And he gives them this big hug and this kiss and says, this is your family, boy. This is your family. This is where you belong. This is where you belong. I don't care about your mess. Come here. We're going to have a party for you tonight. We're going to celebrate. We're going to tell the whole neighborhood. We're going to tell everybody else at the reunion, hey, guess what? My son who was lost, my son who thought he had a mess, has come home and returned to the Father. Because he restores, he redeems, he forgives, and there's grace. And we as the church who are in the family, we're talking about it every week. But when somebody comes in like that, we don't say, oh, man, look at, look at the special treatment they're getting. Well, some of us could. 
Some of us could say, be a little jealous. Oh, man, they're getting so much attention. They're being discipled one-on-one. I want to be discipled one-on-one. I want to do all this. And we start complaining and all this stuff. This is what the older son does in Luke 15. But the father says, hey, this is your family too. All that I have is yours, just like him. But he was lost, and now he's found. So we celebrate. You should celebrate. Watch what God does in you when you celebrate for somebody else. Watch what God unleashes in you as you start celebrating what you already have, what you already, who you already are. Get ready. The Godfather is going to restore, is going to redeem. I want to ask you a question. We close today. Maybe you came in with a mess. Maybe you came into this place and you were wondering, do I belong here? Is there a place here? I want to let you know that Jesus, he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And all the judgment and punishment that we feel like we should have for this mess, that's a real guilt. That's a real guilt. You see, you deserve punishment. You deserve judgment. You deserve that guilt. But Jesus says, I want to take that guilt from you. I want to take it from you, and I'm going to die that death so you no longer have to feel guilty, and I want you to turn to me. I want you to trust me, put your faith in me, and I'm going to take your mess. I'm going to erase it. I'm going to bring you into the family. I'm going to adopt you, and I'm going to set you as a son, as a daughter, and I'm going to set you free. Get ready, because on this side is heaven. On this side is blessing. On this side is life. And this side is victory. Come to me, those who are lost, and be found. Watch what God does. And he will reach you and pull you over, and he will clean you up, and you will walk in the freedom that he so paid for when he died on that death, on that cross. It says he was buried after he died, and three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he has life over death, proving that he has life over your mess, proving that he has life over your hopeless situation. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you stand with me as I begin to pray? Father, you see us. You see us. That's what's great about you, God, is you're the great patriarch. You're the one who sees us, the one who knows us, the one who loves us. You see those who are found today, and you see those who are lost today. And Lord, you are affirming those who have been found, and you are reaffirming and saying, I'm your father. Spend time with me this week. Enjoy me this week. I want to enjoy you. And those who are feel so lost, so broken and distant, Lord Jesus, you say, confess with your mouth that You're a sinner, repent from that and confess Jesus as Lord and turn to him and watch him make you new. And all you have to do is simply say that. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me. You rose for me. And right now I confess you as Jesus and Lord. Watch what God does. Lord, it's just a blessing over your church this morning. Next, your measure of grace. Next, your measure of love. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Can we give God a big hand for that? Come on. I want to instruct you right now. There's a couple of things that are going to happen. And, and I want to just encourage you. Maybe you're a guest this morning. Maybe you're, you're new to our family. But we're doing baptisms right out this exit door, right when we dismiss. And we'd invite all of you to come watch those baptisms. They're going to happen in about 10 minutes. And so we'll have those baptisms, have a special time of prayer, and we can celebrate together. But what I need you to do is if you have kids, I need you to go immediately go get your children and make your way back this way. We'd love to see you down here. Uh, lastly, if you want to connect with us, I want to just encourage you. You can just text the word LUMINOUS to 94000. You'll get a link tree with all of our resources and links, and uh, it's going to be great. So, Father, we just thank you. Bless your church. In every way, in Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed.